mean, can I just say, I got babies on each side of me this morning, and I love it. Like, we say this all the time, but I don't think we can say it enough. Man, your babies are never a distraction. Babies crying is just the sound of a growing church. That's what someone told us one Sunday. So babies are never a distraction. So if your babies or even your kids are making noise in here, it doesn't bother me. And it's not bothering anybody else, even if they're looking at you. Um, and so we welcome that. In two Sundays, we have a fifth Sunday. Uh, July 30th is a fifth Sunday. And so with fifth Sundays, we have uh, older elementary kids in here. And so we will even have uh, more kids in here in two weeks. But I just wanted to throw that out there that as I literally see babies right here, right here, and right here, uh, man, it is such a blessing to see uh, how the Lord has, has blessed your family, and we are glad that they are here. And we're glad that all of you are here because we are continuing our series through the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent, it's Psalm 130 to, or I'm sorry, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, and basically what these things are are songs for a journey. Ancient he, uh, Hebrew Israelites would go to Jerusalem at least three times a year, and they would have these 14 songs that they would sing on their way to Jerusalem as they would ascend to the highest city in Palestine, Jerusalem. And as they would sing and ascend, it is a picture of our souls that we are not going to a city, but we are on a journey to God. Our souls do not have to go to a certain place to meet him, but nevertheless, we are on a faith journey as we travel upwards towards God. So these are not just songs for them. These are songs for us. And I just want to ask you this morning, have you ever lived in this space where you're like, man, I don't know what is happening right now to my life? Have you ever thought this morning, man, I have no idea what is going on right now, but I am living in a time that I wish I could get out of? Maybe you can look back and you see God's faithfulness. And maybe even today you're a believer in here and you can look forward and you see a glimpse of hope. That if God, if you were out there and this heaven thing exists and it's real and, 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 and I'm actually following you somewhere, then one day everything will be made better. But right now, what do you do with today? What do you do with today? That's what this psalm is going to say. Go ahead and turn to Psalm 126. That is the psalm we are in today. If you don't have your Bible, it will be on the screen. And if you do not own a Bible, we have free Bibles in the lobby. We would love to give you a Bible today. So just grab me, grab someone with a lanyard and say, hey, I want a Bible. Or just find it on the little shelves out there and just take one. Uh, No one's going to stop you. We would love to get that into your hands. But here we go. If you've ever felt like, what do I do today? Here we go. Verse 1 of Psalm 126, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream Our mouths were filled with laughter then, and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We were joyful. Now let's just pause here because what these first three verses are giving us is some historical context, historical reference to what has happened in the past. Verse 1 says what? When the Lord restored the the fortunes of Zion. Now, to restore something means what? To bring something back or to make it like new again. Think about restoring a car. When you are restoring a car, what is the initial condition? It might not be that great. But you are restoring the car to bring it back to something that is. And so this restoration refers back to a specific period. And this is so helpful for us, guys. It's so helpful for us. That when we read Psalms like this, we see this Bible is not just a fairy tale book. 
but it's historical. We can think back and look back to actual kings and actual places and actual times. And what this is referring to is around a time of 587 B.C. Now, I know that you all know what happened in 587 B.C., right? But if you don't, let's just walk through it together. Jerusalem was overthrown. The temple was destroyed. Do you remember Daniel in the lion's den? Even if you're new to, to, to church and to the Bible, do you remember this guy named Daniel who was thrown into the lion's den? Well, this guy named Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, threw him into the lion's den. And Nebuchadnezzar was the one who destroyed the temple and destroyed Jerusalem. And what happened to the ancient Hebrew Israelites is they were put into exile. And they wandered. And they had no place to call their own. In fact, they had to relocate into Babylon. And if you know anything about Scripture, especially as we jump to Revelation, it's like Babylon is just the opposite of Jerusalem. The Babylonian Empire was terrible. And the Jews who were used to Jerusalem, who were used to their homeland, were forced to exile. Think back to the very beginning. I mean, exile is all in Scripture. Think back to the very beginning. Adam and Eve, they sin. What happens? They are exiled. They are kicked from the garden. They no longer have a place to rest. They have a place to work. To be exiled means that there is no place to call home. There is no rest. I traveled a lot recently. I call it my summer tour. Um, really, I just go to Texas in the summer. But I'm also a part of this like leadership cohort that it took me out of town like Monday through Thursday. I came back a Thursday and left uh, two Saturdays ago for Texas. So I was gone for like, I don't know, do the math, 12 days or 14 days or something like that. I was gone a long time. And yes, I slept really good because we have a six-month-old at home, okay? So I slept really good. However... There is no place like home. Like, you know, you know, if you travel a lot, when you come home, there is no place like home. Your own bed. Anybody? Your own bed. That's right. Now, me and Emily actually love staying in hotels. There's just something about it. Like, it's just fun. We're those people who it's like we do those dumb things called staycations, you know, where it's like you stay in a hotel in your own city. Yeah, that's just us. We, we spend money to sleep 30 minutes away. But that's okay. Even at the end of the staycation, there's no place like home. And so the larger picture for us being set up by what the psalmist here is writing about, the larger picture for us is that throughout Scripture, it is a picture of our souls that are in exile. That it's not that we are just wandering place to place, but it is truly our souls that have no place to call home until we encounter the risen Lord who brings us back into rest. And in the Old Testament, land equaled rest. Land equaled rest. If you had land, you had safety. If you had land, you had a place to call home. If you had land, you had rest. And so to be exiled and have no place to call your home, you were not at rest. And thus it is with our souls. Without the risen Lord, life just doesn't work. And you know it because you're asking the question, what do I do today? What do I do? Life is crazy. That's the big picture. That exile is all throughout the scriptures. That God's people are wandering with no place to find rest, home, security, purpose. That's a picture of our souls. That's the macro. But the micro takes us back into Psalm 126. And on a micro scale, the writer is not only recounting the time that the temple was destroyed, but he's talking about what? Restoration. The time that the Lord brought them back. And what happened here is described in Ezra, which is just a book in the Old Testament. We won't turn to there, but study it in your own time. The book of Ezra, chapters 1 through 4, talks about how King Cyrus of Persia, 
You ever seen 300? That dude. Okay, we're not going to get into that. I'm not saying go watch 300. It's a pretty cool movie. You probably should. Um, <laughs> but that dude, King Cyrus, allowed the Jews to come back into Jerusalem. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar is gone. The fortunes have been restored, and God used King Cyrus of Persia. And Ezra 1 through 4 talks about that. It literally lists out all the groups and clans and tribes that came back into Jerusalem. And this is what the writer is talking about. And notice his response, verses 2 through 3 once again. When this happened, when we came back and the Lord restored us, our mouths were filled with laughter then and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We were joyful. What is the marker? Laughter. Shouts of joy. They were loud. They were testifying. They were giving toast. It sounds a lot like a house party. And just a shameless plug on Sunday, July 30th. Hey, I got the date right, y'all. I got the date right. Sunday, July 30th at 5 p.m., we are having a house party at Lindsay and Gerald Teal's house. We're catering salseritas. It's going to be awesome. Like, you guys should come. This is for your entire family, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to party. Now, it's not going to be like a rager, okay, where, like, you can't go to work Monday morning, but it is going to be fun. We're going to have games. We're going to have food. We're going to have one another. We're going to have laughter. Maybe someone will toast me. I don't know. But it sounds like a house party. <laughs> or roast me, yeah, thank you. <laughs> it sounds like a great party. And so many times when we think of the Lord and we think of his church, we think of what? Boredom. We think of rules. We think of regulations. We think of strict. We think of no ball caps. Ball caps, am I 80? Like, we think of hats. <laughs> That's what we think of when we think of church so many times, right? It's boring. There's rules. Nah, man. Martin Luther, who was part of the Reformation hundreds of years ago, he had a friend named Philip. And it's funny, Luther, during the Reformation, looked at his friend Philip, and he wrote this down, and he said, Philip, go out and sin a little. For heaven's sake, the Lord deserves something to forgive you for. <laughs> now, in jest, he's talking to his friend, who is just like, man, pious. And they're like, we're breaking out of that. Like, he's saying that in jest, but here's the point, okay? Joy should be the marker of every Christian because your wandering soul has found its place to rest. Period. Joy should be the marker of every Christian because your wandering soul has found its place to rest. This is the gospel. That the spiritually exiled, the spiritual outsiders, the spiritual wanderer has found its way back home because, get this, God has brought you home. Man, the heartbeat of this church can be found in Ephesians 2. It's going to be on the screen. Don't turn there. The heartbeat of this church says this. So then, this is the good news that Paul writes in Ephesians. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. What are we about? We are about seeing all people brought near and built up through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm so excited for the fall. We have so many cool church plans, but we also have plans to roll out a brand new mission statement, and I've said it twice this morning. Out of Ephesians 2, we exist to see all people. Who's all people? All people. Brought near and built up through a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the good news, that if you are no longer a stranger, you have been brought near and you were being built up. And who's the building block? 
Not Adam, not Citizens Church. Christ Jesus. We want all people, our student sleepover, we want all students to be brought near and built up through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Kids ministry, we want all kids, all kids to be brought near and built up through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the heartbeat of this church because when people come home, joy follows. Joy follows. And so the people, the people in Psalm 126 have the only response to the Lord doing something that only he could do. When the Lord restored us, oh my gosh, our mouths were full of laughter. There was toast. There is joy. And this is the kingdom. I just wrote this in my notes. I don't know if this will help you, but it really helped me. The kingdom of God is more like a festival than a museum tour. The kingdom of God is more like a festival than a museum tour. What's true of a museum tour? Don't, don't touch. Don't get too close. Don't taste. I mean, I don't know who's, who's trying to taste the art, but maybe you are. And in the book of Colossians, where we studied a few weeks, right, like, Paul goes against this. He says, why do you still follow the rules of this world? Don't taste, don't touch, don't eat, when you have been set free. The kingdom of God in the Bible, like I said, maybe you think of boredom, maybe you think of rules, maybe you think of strict. But the kingdom of God in the Bible is time and time again referred to as what? A great banquet feast. A great feast. Guys, why do we do communion every single week? Number one, we do it to show that we are driven by gospel dependency, that we are nothing without him. But also, any good party has a table. Any good party has food. Any good party has drink. And so Jesus, in the moment that he was showing his disciples the Last Supper, yes, it was the gospel in flesh, that it is my body, it is my blood. However, what does he say in Mark 14 that we read every week? I will not eat of this meal again, Jesus says, until we eat it together in the kingdom of heaven. What he is referring to is a great party. When he eats it that night, he says, the next time I eat this with you guys, we're going to be around a great table. There's going to be feasting, there's going to be laughter, there's going to be toast, there's going to be joy. This is the marker of the kingdom. It's not a museum tour, y'all, so church shouldn't be a museum tour. We are not a museum of relig uh, re religious uh, karaoke and just all these things that you, just, you, you have to just come and sit and be. Like, that's why we got stuff outside. That's why we're like, kids, come in here. Because, you know, white adults, they just sometimes give me a, mm, like, you know, like a moo. That's what people do when a point is good. But kids make noise. It's like, we need more noise in here. If you get up and dance, I'm not going to shut you down. <laughs> Guys, the kingdom of God is more like a festival than a museum tour. Think of Christ's first miracle. He turned water into wine. Now, Southern Baptist, which I am one, it was wine. And it wasn't just wine, it was the best wine. So much so that the people that were in charge were like, wait, 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 wait. Normally, normally we do the best wine first so that when people get drunk, then they don't care what they're drinking and we're doing the less wine. So people were partying, okay? But Jesus turns the water into the best wine. And they're like, why did you wait to serve the best wine last? And it's just a picture of the kingdom. That the things to come will be the best. Jesus was at a wedding. He was partying. And if you email me tomorrow because you, all you hear from this is like, go out and get drunk. That's not what I'm saying. Like, so don't email me. Don't email me. But I will send it to my assistant, Trash. Um, <laughs> but Jesus steps onto the scene. 
And he provides great reason to eat, drink, and dance. He is the true and better king who has come to save our souls. And when you recognize that you have been saved, you better dance. Is anybody, is anybody joyful this morning? Is anybody joyful? Does anybody have reason to celebrate because of what the Lord has done? That man, my soul was that junk, beat up car in the driveway, and he has restored my soul. Amen. Amen. But then verse 4 takes a dramatic shift. Such is life. Verse 4. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like watercourses in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Though one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed, he will surely come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves. Wait, what? Like we just talked about the Lord restoring us. But in verse 4, what does he say? Restore us, Lord. Simply put, they returned home and it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. When the ancient Israelites returned to Jerusalem, it was not the same city that they left. It was not the same city they were kicked out of. The temple was still destroyed. And there was plenty of social and physical healing that still had to take place. And so while they were so grateful to be there, that the Lord has restored, and we were, man, on our way back to Jerusalem, out of Babylon, we have laughter in our mouths, and we were toasting, and we were joyful, and we were singing, and we were dancing. They get there, and the psalm turns from praise to petition. And everything is not as it should be. And so the psalmist steps in, and he gives an agrarian metaphor. Verse 4, restore our fortunes, Lord, like the watercourses of the Negev. Number one, to restore the watercourses of Negev is a really weird thing. Okay, all right, TVs are out. Negev was a well-known wilderness area in, uh, with little water. In fact, it was the largest desert in the southern Israel, uh, the, the part of southern Israel. And so to say, Lord, restore us like watercourses in Negev was almost an impossible prayer. Like there was a certain time that there was a little bit of water, but to have water courses most of the year, it was famished, it was dry, it was not looking that good. These waterless creek beds would ebb and flow throughout most of the year. But his petition is what? Lord, restore like the water courses in the give. Let me just ask you this. Has your life ever been dry? That you just feel like you have nothing to give out because nothing's coming in. Maybe your relationship with the Lord is uh, described as, as stale. Like, man. I think they understood that. But then not only do they say, restore our waters like waters in this dry, desolate place. But number two, they say, what? Planting seed and reaping harvest. Verse six, those one goes along weeping, carrying a bag of seed. He will surely come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves. What were the people planting? Tears. Yet the psalmist is sure that those who sow tears will reap joy. You see, while they had returned, life was hard. And so it is with us. Because what this psalm tells us is actually a great reminder for those who aren't joyful right now. Like, here's the reality that you and I live in. Some seasons of your life will be hard. Some seasons of your life will be depressing. 
There may be a season of medication and therapy. There may be a season of tears. There may be a season where you don't want to be here. And what the psalmist tells us is that you are no less Christian and God is no less God. I love the message translation of these verses. It'll be on the screen. This is what Eugene Peterson, who has the message translation, this is what, how, how he paraphrases verses four through six. And, and I just wonder if this is a prayer for anybody this morning. And now, God, do it again. Bring rains to our drought-stricken lives so that those who planted their crops in despair will shout yes at harvest. So those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads of blessing. Yes, joy marks the Christian, but so do seasons of heartache. And if you are struggling right now, you are no less Christian. You are no less faithful to God. There are those seasons where you are like, what is happening? And it's not the faithless who says, do it again, God. It's the faithful. Only in faith do you cry out, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. I love the quote that says, it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. If you're not okay this morning, that's okay. That's okay. If your soul feels like the waterways in the give, just the driest part in southern Israel, that's okay. But you need to know that there is water for a thirsty soul. Like, it's not okay to be dying of thirst, but yet willing to die thirsty. It's just not okay. And this is our story. So what the psalmist is telling us is like, man, maybe you in here this morning, you follow the Lord. You've, you've been returned from exile. You know where your soul is. You know where you're going if you were to die right now. However, things are still not as they should be, amen? People still die of hunger. There is heartbreak in this world. Do you know that right now there's an estimated 40 million people and it's growing that are in modern-day slavery? Now, let me ask you, is the Lord working in our world? Yes. But are things exactly as they should be? No. This is life. Welcome to life. There is still heartbreak in this world and in your world, and you long for better. If you long for better because things are not as they should be, then this is your song. So it's not that you need to fake it. But maybe you need to change your perspective a little bit. And the glimpse of hope that you need is the belief that it will not always be like this. Because that is the story of scripture too. That's what I'm saying. It's okay to not be, it's okay, to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. Because the message of scripture is everything around us is jacked up. We see it. But that is not the end. If God has saved us, then we do have a hope. We do have a future. And it is a good one. And so how are we to live today? That was the question that we started with, right? How are we to live today? Well, I just wrote this down. Maybe it'll help you. Remember this. We aren't so much in exile, but we are pilgrims and sojourners knowing this place is not our home. Live in the in-between. You're not in exile anymore. Ephesians 2 is clear. If you have been saved, then you are no longer in exile, and your soul has found its place of rest. 
However, you are still on a journey. And you are a sojourner. You are a pilgrim. You are moving into uncharted territory, looking for the heavenly place that we will be one day. This is the already but not yet, and the Bible describes that all the time. That are you saved? Yes. But are you fully complete yet? No. But one day you will be. And this is what you need to hold on to. That one day there will be waters that never dry up. One day there will never be tears. One day, well, there might be tears from laughter. One day there will never be slavery again. One day there will never be families falling apart. One day there will never be addictions again. One day there will be unending joy, laughter, and feasting. That's one day. But it might not be two days. And so what are you going to do in the meantime? What are you going to do in the meantime? Friends, if you are living in this period where you're like, man, I, I need something today, you are in good company. You are in good company. And if you were thinking today, yeah, the Lord has done a mighty work, but I still don't feel like I'm where I should be. Man, I heard that from so many high schoolers two weeks ago in Texas that just feel the shame and guilt because at 17 years old, they don't have it all together. And I'm like, man, I wish I had the wisdom at 17 to say what you just said. And if you feel the shame and guilt this morning that you don't have it all together, welcome to life. And th this, this isn't like a, a message of like, just, just eat, drink, and be merry. No, this is a message of like, if you don't have it all together, that's <laughs> welcome, welcome to citizens. We are glad you're here. But you need to know that there is one who has it all together, and that is the gospel. That you, who were so jacked up beyond belief, that you were more sinful than you dare think, but you were more loved than you could dare dream, that Jesus goes to the cross for your behalf and says, all your jacked upness, bring it to me. All your screwed upness, all your sin, all your shame, all your struggle, bring it to me. And as he goes to the cross, and Colossians 2 tells us what? That he took that and he nailed it to the cross. And then Colossians 2 tells us that he publicly resurrected over death, hell, and the grave. And he publicly disarmed and resurrected over your shame and guilt. So that while we look at this world not being the same, we don't look at it as people without hope. We look at it with people with hope. And it's like, man, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And everything around me is bad. Lord, bring back the good. And he will. He will. There are periods in your life that are good if you would just look around. But some things are horrible. Some things you feel like they're going to kill you. And if that is your story, man, I just want you to be here to turn your eyes, not towards us, but towards the Lord. And so every Sunday, we have a prayer team in the back. And I just wonder today, I say this every single week, but I just wonder how many of us need to actually get up from our chair. We need to go receive prayer. And you just need to say, everything is not okay right now. And it could be because of you. It could be a situation with your friends or family members. It could be a myriad of things. And you just need to confess out loud before the Lord and before someone today that everything is not okay. However, however, one day it will be. And allow our folks in the back to pray over you, to give you the encouragement to keep going. Maybe give you the encouragement to turn to the Lord. Give you the encouragement to look to heaven. Give you the encouragement to go back through and read Psalm 126. 
that the Lord is doing what only he can. And you're not in exile anymore, but you're still not home. And so this is a place for the broken. This is a place for the jacked up. And and this is what I'll end with. Because of the gospel, because of who Jesus is, you have nothing to prove and you have no one to impress. You have nothing to prove here and you have no one to impress. Because you're not that impressive. And neither am I. And if you feel the weight of that this morning and you would love prayer, we'll have our prayer team in the back. Maybe you need to get up and just say, would you just pray with me? I am not okay. I am not okay. We're not exiles. 